Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in on our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today we're going to do another episode of the TNR 2.0 interview session. And in a couple moments, we're going to introduce David Poirier. But first, let's set the stage. Greg and I have been friends for a long time. And Greg, I have no idea what day of the week is. It seems like a Thursday or a Friday, but I know that's not correct. Uh, yeah, well, it was Valentine's Day yesterday, so I know it's the 15th. That's that's the only thing. So what day it is, I'm not sure, but I do know it's the day after Valentine's. I just find that I've been so busy the last little bit, and it's not just work, it's other things. And uh, uh, tonight I don't have anything on the go, so I think I'm going to take full advantage of that. But the rest of the week I'm looking at my schedule. It's busy, it's good but it's just really, really busy. So um, I don't know. I think it's Tuesday, but I'm not 100% sure. You are correct. It's Tuesday. So let's uh, carry on here. Greg and I have spent a great deal of our careers as managers. We've both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. We've been hosting this podcast series dealing how we and others have missed the mark. And as we work through this podcast series, we realize there might be topics, struggles, or experiences that aren't our own, and that we should welcome others to the table at the diner to have a discussion. So that's what Talking Not Ranting 2.0 is. We're going to take a, uh, some opportunities and invite some other people in to have some great conversations about their perspective on things, their experiences, and uh, talk about what Greg calls safe, brave spaces. A little plug for your book, Greg. Thanks, Alistair. And... In the show notes, we always have a link to where you can buy his book. So there you go. And with everything that TNR does, we always want to have a good, healthy conversation. And I think, Greg, we're going to have one of those today. I think so, too. Um, you know, I've had a couple of conversations with David, and I'm looking forward to this one as well. Now, I have to apologize. I do have a little bit of a tickle in my throat. And so if you see me cut off, I'm going to ask questions quickly. People might be thrilled because I'm going to be quicker in my questions and less talking. But I will begin with this. And David, first of all, welcome to Talking Not Ranting. We're so grateful for you taking the time to join us today. Pleasure to be here. So, you know, Alistair, there's certain people that you meet. And when you meet them, you think, oh, this is a really interesting person. And often it's because of their their comments, just their way of showing up. And I haven't known David that for that long. We are a part of a group that meets every Wednesday morning. And, uh, and uh, I met David through there. I was invited to this group and David was invited, I think around just after I started as well. And uh, as I just listened to David's wisdom, I thought, wow, he, he is such an interesting person. And so just because of that, I wanted to dive deeper and get to know David. And what I did know, uh, part of getting to know David, was that uh, David David uh, had lost his hearing uh, at some point in his life. And I was curious, so we had a conversation. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a bio. And then I'm so looking forward to tapping into David's uh, experience as a leader, as an individual who worked in organizations, but also someone who has lost his hearing and continued to work in organizations. So really some, hopefully some great wisdom there. So David graduated 
with a BBA from Lakehead University. Do you want me to say the uh, year, David, uh, 1979? <laughs> yeah, so my goodness. Um, I'm now picturing David with long hair and uh, um, a tie-dye maybe. No, I'm just, I, I, I was very close to that time frame too. And I wasn't wearing long hair and tie-dye. So I'm not going to go there. But, and you spent most of your career in consumer packaging products, consumer products industry, uh, which I spent a lot of time there. Um, you are a director of sales and marketing with Lenbrook Industries, manufacturer and distributor based out of Pickering, being responsible for sales and marketing across Canada. And, you know, you were just, a, you know, a, an active guy. As I look at your bio, you know, you ran your first marathon um, with, your, with your wife at the time, but then, uh, you know, have had some real challenges that... Uh, that that throughout your life and one was with your first wife unfortunately being diagnosed with leukemia um, going into remission um, after a stem cell transplant um, and uh, and and that challenge of of really helping her supporting her through that with a 10 year old son at home um, and working hard and you know a lot of time we're talking these days about resilience and wellness and folks really watching you know what's happening in their lives and maybe pushing too hard and well you your experience really for me resonates um that you know in 2007 after another lengthy cross-country plane and car trip in august you developed the bug um sore throat that turned into loss of voice full-blown bronchitis uh, diagnosed at a walk-in clinic, given some antibiotics, got home, uh, and and then uh, shortly after went into respiratory arrest and was taken to emergency again, placed in a coma for 10 days uh, to save your life, never determined, uh, uh, you know, what exactly that was, but 10 days in a state of prolonged unconsciousness, woke up utterly and completely deaf. And I think it was at the age of 49. So a successful career um, and, and family and through this circumstance, overnight, just, just lost your hearing. Um, uh, and then you described that uh, spent 103 days in hospital having to re- uh, not only teach yourself how to walk, because of course, with hearing the earring and the balance and that lost that completely, but also learning to speech read, to survive in a silent world, buying ASL books and learning to um, really, uh, really uh, read speech that way. Then was implanted with a co cochlear implant and spent six months learning to hear in a new digital world. And David, we'll maybe talk a little bit about that. You told me about what that is. I was just fascinated by technology, and, but what you had to relearn as an individual. I, I've told a couple of people that and they said, get out of here. Just, just really surprising. Um, and, and, and then your journey to come back to work, to regain your balance and beginning to communicate in the workplace only to be stuck, struck by tragedy again, your wife falling out of remission and passing away, having to balance a life struggle at that point with your son. Um, eventually, the good, good news of that, that terrible situation is meeting someone else, 
falling in love, getting remarried, getting back into your new world of silence, but impact even in this new world, um, embarking into many not-for-profits. I love the work you do, working for The Refuge, a center for you, homeless youth cooking breakfast and lunch for 70, 12 to 19 year olds. Monday night with adults with dealing with anxiety and depression, mental health patients as well. And your most joy coming from working with the deaf community and now actually joining the board of the director of uh, a board of directors of Durham Deaf Services. And really since 2017, really getting to know and advocating for the deaf and the deafened, um, and both in raising money, advocating going forward. So that is a long um, bio, but I wanted to really set the stage. Uh, and I got thinking about in particular leaders today, you know, resilience, burnout and stress and challenges, such a, a prevalent thing right now. And so we hope to learn a little bit about your journey through all that, but also uh, uh, before that, what you can learn and guidance, and then we'll hopefully talk a little bit further about um, you know, what can we learn as individuals who are um, working with, who have family members um, uh, that maybe have, have hearing uh, either, either issues or are or, or deaf, uh, and um, and talking a little bit about more of that. So anyways, I will now shut up. I told you I was going to be less words. Alistair's shaking his head, not less words, even with the coal. But so grateful that you're here, David, to join us in Talking Not Ranting. Sounds like such a busy time when you're reading my bio and going, wow, it's been a busy 13 years, and it really has. It's been a, quite an incredible uh, journey. Uh, and you don't really think about it until you have someone else telling you. So yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing. Well, that's great. And I, and I, as I said at the beginning, you for me are just this, this wonderful spirit, uh, are curious and open and learning and also courageous on standing uh, for others. And so I look forward to diving deeper in that. So our first question is, maybe you can just share an experience in your life, maybe before the situation, maybe during either one that you have po that's uh, positively helped you grow as a team member or as a leader. Our show is about what we can learn from both the things we do well and the things that we didn't do so well, or the things that we experienced, both good and bad. So I'm wondering if you could just share an experience or two that jumps out for you of really helped strengthen you as a leader or a team member. I think one of the things that <clears throat> you notice or I notice through the uh, personal tragedy, uh, the personal health experience was how different my life was prior uh, to these experiences. Um, you really don't know how little you pay attention until you have to pay 100% attention when you're focusing on losing sound just changed me, changed me tremendously, losing the ability to hear and realizing I had to focus so much on a person to be able to speech read. I had to focus so much to get what their emotions were. Were they angry? Were they happy? Were they sad? Watch their hands, watch their face, watch their eyes. And prior to that, I realized that I was living in a world of head down, you know, director of sales, head down, just, you know, reading, writing, uh, uh, not really paying attention to people. And <clears throat> so 
through that experience when I went back and said, how did I react uh, in that sales presentation? How am I teaching our salespeople to sell? Am I really saying you've got to listen, you've got to pay attention, you have to focus on the other person because I had to do it to survive. So all that time I was off, I started thinking about I'm really noticing things. I'm looking at the color of a person's socks. How absurd is that? I would never look at the color of a person's socks, but I could judge a character. If you had fun, purple, red, green socks, I would mention it and would see the smile on their face. So I saw this metamorphosis in people that traditionally were head down. I would say, that's really cool, those socks you're wearing, and watch the reaction and how wonderful that came back to me tenfold. And prior to that, what little attention was, how do we drive the business? How do we get our people to drive the business? You know, what are the margins like? What, what's the profit on this? And you're missing the experience. You're totally oblivious to the outside environment. And by having to survive, by being so in the moment, really had to focus. Um, to change the way I lived. And it was just a matter of pure survival. Um, you know, in past people would be talking and, you know, you'd be focused on you're doing an email and someone's talking. I couldn't do that anymore. I had to stop whatever I was doing and look at them and focus on them and listen to every single word and interrupt and say, hold on. I think you said bread, but you may have said dead. When you're speech reading, you know, even when I was before I was implanted with a cochlear implant, I realized that I had to learn how to do this. And lip reading is tricky. And that's why they call it speech reading. Uh, and I had a really good teacher. She was a therapist at the hospital in Oshawa, the Lake Ridge Hospital in Oshawa. And she said the key is if you're stumped and you're just watching the lips move and you think you got it, always ask the topic and stop them and say, I didn't hear a thing. Totally profound silence. I still don't with this magnet off my head. So I'm in totally profound silence. And I have someone come into the hospital room and start talking. And I would say, I'd have my whiteboard and I'd say, what's the topic? Just write it down. And they would put the leaf game. And all of a sudden, magically, I realized what he was saying. Like you, you kind of had an idea but if you don't know the topic, I mean, and then I started to relate to that. How many times have I been sitting in a meeting and I wasn't sure what they were talking about you, but you know, you fake it to make it, just go through the motions. So, you know, myself, I had to learn even when I was implanted and, and learning digital sound, I still do, uh, you know, 20 minutes before this uh, the session we're on, my wife said something and I hear something totally different. That happens 30 times a day and she'll continue to talk. I'll say, stop, stop. What's the topic? Because I want to be involved. Prior to these experiences, I had to ask myself, was I really involved in the moment or was I just going through the actions? I mean, the world changed significantly. And even when I was in the hospital for that time, texting was crude. Uh, elementary, it was very basic. Phones weren't even set up. For, and there were no smartphones in uh, 2007. 
right? So uh, <laughs> learning the text on the alphanumeric, but they, you got to hit the key three times to get an E. <laughs> oh, oh. It was, it was, it's kind of hilarious. Uh, uh, but the struggle, uh, but the funny thing is, it, it really changed me. Uh, it paying attention, it, it helped me on the road to mindfulness. If you're not, if, you know, we used to be impressed with, oh, I'm a great multitasker. Multitasking sucks. It's the wrong thing to do because you're missing. You're missing. You're oblivious to a thousand things. If you're not interested in the conversation, just say, look, I'm not really a Leaf fan. But, you know, don't do 15 things and pretend. So many, so many re rich um things that I want to just probe a little bit deeper in with regards there. First of all, this whole idea of being present and being totally present. Alistair, I think in almost all of our podcasts, we've, we, and personally, we've discovered the power of that, of to be present, to be focused, to hold attention. What a powerful opportunity, a powerful insight on saying, what's the topic that you want to talk about? So whether or not you are the person that you are with has hearing or not, what a beautiful focus of getting to the topic sometimes was the second thing I picked up. Um, and the third thing that I picked up is, and I love this, is that if it isn't something that you have, something you can commit to, or, and it's not that important, actually calling it and, and saying, I don't, I'm, that's not, so it's, it's interesting. Some of these, <coughs> excuse me, learnings, are so fascinating, but just the power of being present and how noticing things. You know, I'm a, I'm an executive coach, and I've gone through coaching training, and they talk about the layers of listening. You know, the first one is just listening to the words, but more importantly is is listening to looking at the body movement and the tone and those type of things. But even more important is getting to that third level, which is the energy, kind of what is happening, the expression and those types of things. And what I heard you say is, I mean, you are forced to learn that. Um, but in reflection, the best leaders, I think, do that, whether they have hearing or, or, or not. Um, they're, 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 they're intentionally trying to do that. Being sympathetic. Um... And I'm talking a phony sympathetic, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. It's um, when you look at a person's face, uh, their eyes, the emotions, um, you can change the whole paradigm of everything where all of a sudden you look up and <clears throat> I have to look at a person's face when they're talking. And in my past, I never did that. And I really noticed it when I'd be talking to people, I'd be, you know, staring down at the desk or my feet or something. And I, in deaf culture, uh, that's rude. Like that just ends a conversation. And, and it's kind of, to me, it was like, I think it should, because if you're not interested in me and so many times, and it happened to me in my hearing life uh, prior to losing my hearing was, you know, I'd be meeting a person, you know, at a company function, you know, shaking hands with the president at the Christmas party and looking at him. He's not even looking at me. He's looking around the room as I'm talking. Right. So I'm kind of going, he's looking for, is there anybody more important than me? But the, the, the social uh, aspect of that is like, if you're not interested in me, that tells me a whole lot. And so 
I felt it important uh, for my survival. I knew I had to look at a person. And when I went back into the working world and working with uh, my team, I said, don't read read a presentation. I have a few keywords, but look at the prospect, look at the buyer, look at the manager that you're talking to, look them in the eyes. Don't look away and talk because that is rude in my new world. And I think it's important. The eye contact was. David, that, some of the things you're saying are, are probably right on what we've been kind of developing throughout this podcast. And I'm wondering, was there anything in your um past as a as a leader or somebody being led that prepared you for this you've talked about you've talked you've got so much content in the first like 22 minutes of this interview it's like i think it's going to take uh greg and i like four or five listening twos to actually get all the lessons out of it was there anything that prepared you for where you're going to go or kind of foreshadowed this things that you've drawn upon from your earlier life either as a leader or as somebody being led that that um, you've found helpful and it could be a negative thing. It could be a positive thing, but is there anything that you've kind of pulled on to assist you in your present uh, day? Um, I know that uh, many things in, um, prior to 2007 when I lost my hearing and 2009 when I, uh, I lost my first wife, there was many things that helped um me become the manager, the person that I was in business. And one of the, the things was running. And uh, I always ran uh, with a group, uh, the running room, which is a chain across Canada. Um, and um, we made sure that uh, we supported each other. And it was kind of a, a great thing. It was a social thing. You'd run twice a week and do your long runs on Sunday, but always with the same group of people. So as you started with your 5K and then 10K and the half marathon, you go into different groups. And uh, 2006, I did uh, my second half marathon, uh, which was the, the Scotiabank in Toronto. And what I did was I said, I'd really like to volunteer to lead the group because they needed group leaders. And um, it was kind of neat because I'd, I'd done it and many people it was their first time and watching them uh first time runners so you go from a 10k to a half marathon so you're going 10k to 21.1 and it's like you never will run the the full 21.1 until the final day when we do the scotia bank and the look of how does this happen that's about we're not going to be able there's no way we'll do this and it was like trust me we'll do this because i do there's no way, you know, and even three weeks prior where we worked up to 17 uh, grueling, awful kilometers, I had a group of 10 or 12 people that are going, I, I don't think I can do it. There's no, how, how are we going to do it? He said, you're going to do it. There's this magical thing that's going to happen and trying to install that belief. And, you know, race day, just seeing those guys take off and taken off too fast <laughs> you guys got a long way to go but it was fun and a couple of you know i kept looping back i i actually probably ran you know 40 or 50 kilometers that day because i i'd run with a group and then run back and catch the ones way behind run with them and keep doing that and i remember the last uh, girl that i took through she was like i can't do it just go just finish i said no we'll do it together we'll walk 
I can't do this. Just keep going. Just keep going. You know, don't give up. And that was a powerful lesson for me. And, you know, the, uh, the, the, the belief that I've done this, you got to trust me, we can do this. And so, so that was the fun thing. The, I think it really helped me um, dealing uh, with the, uh, the tragedy of losing my wife. And that was uh, kind of went on autopilot for a while there when my wife went into uh, the hospital. It was six weeks at a time and Princess Margaret. So I've got a 10 year old at home and I'm trying to uh, you know, run my business at work and uh, going into the hospital. And it was just ran your life that way. And thank God, I mean, this is back in the early 2000s, 2004. And uh, I think Palm Pilots were out then. So <laughs> it helped me organize. <laughs> and it was kind of, okay, check his homework, check Dan's homework. I got that. This is well before smartphones or anything like that or tablets or so just trying to organize and, and dealing with that. It, it, it was the unique experience that running helped me survive uh, the hospital episodes and dealing with the hospital, Princess Margaret helped me deal with my health uh, tragedy. So, it, it, and it, my health tragedy uh, taught me uh, just to be a better person, even better in all, in all aspects. Were there any experiences um, uh, that weren't as enabling in your earlier life that you took lessons from and, and applied them later on in your life? Any experience that were less what? Sorry. Enabling, helpful in your earlier life as you were developing as a leader or when you were an employee, something that uh, struck you and you went, you know, when I'm in, when I'm the person in that position, I definitely know how I'm going to deal with these types of things. Being brought up with, uh, uh, I was brought up uh single parent household. My father left the household when I was uh, quite young. So I brought up my mother who, um, she um, is an incredible lady, still is. Uh, she's 87 now. Uh, she had to go into survival mode. All of a sudden she had a, you know, 13 year old and a 15 year old that she had to look after. And um, she basically uh, went out and got a job as a, a switchboard operator uh, back in the early seventies. And, um, she noticed, uh, and she used to regale us with great stories. She would come home and say, there's these salesmen and the customer calls in and you can't even get a hold of these salesmen. It's Friday afternoon. They're nowhere to be found. So she hounded the president. Let me be, let me go into sales. Let me go into sales. No woman goes into sales. This is the envelope industry. It's a man's world. She didn't let it go. And so he finally relented and said, I'll give you one day a week. So she went out on Fridays and she said Friday was the best day because all the salesmen were in the bars and she went and picked up orders, purchase orders off all the desks that had to be done. And she grew the business and uh, she was just, uh, her lesson was uh, very powerful. Uh, and But she has a huge amount of empathy towards people, which kind of, instilled in me uh so you got the ego drive empathy thing and um i was never huge on i want to make a million dollars i want to be the best servant can be uh, it was so much importance in people were far more important than money uh to me and that 
kind of directed me in uh, the way I uh, worked my business and the way I led people. I love that story. So first of all, I had a Palm Pilot as well. So uh, I'm aging myself to the Palm Pilot. My wife had a handspring, which was the newer version of the Palm Pilot. Brilliant technology. Unfortunately, got sold before it could really be developed. Um, for our listeners that are younger than, I don't know, younger than 40, maybe, 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 maybe that's still too old. <laughs> Check out Palm Pilot and Handspring. Pretty powerful technology that's now incorporated in lots of this stuff. So that's one thing. The second thing is uh, your, your story of your mother. And I think it's really powerful how those around us, and again, um, her story of, uh, of really overcoming challenges, you know, being thrown into that situation, having to figure something out, but not only having to figure something out, seeing a possibility in a time where, uh, you know, your comment, well, women don't aren't salespeople um, and her saying, well, you know, being courageous and, and uh, resilient through that process and proving herself and then finding those. I love that story. I can't imagine all those salespeople in the bars and your mom walking around getting all those things. Such a beautiful picture and a great honor of, of what she's been be able to provide for you. I think that is so, so amazing and such a great example of the power of empathy. Because on the other side, I know I've worked for folks that are not on that other side that are just boisterous and just want to win over everything else and uh, they never last and uh, sometimes you learn from those of what not to do as much as what what to do but thank you for sharing that story i want to shift a little bit to really uh giving our listeners an opportunity to understand you do a lot of work these days with the deaf community and and you're an advocate you're an educator you create great awareness uh, certainly for myself, even in our conversation that, and so I'd love you to just maybe provide um, some perspectives and it, I, it may translate into any kind of difference in your workplace, but specifically from the deaf perspective, what are the most important um, insights, um, guidance that you would give a leader if they have someone who is working for them who might be have an impaired hearing or be completely uh, deaf? What would be some of the things that are really important insights that you would share to them? The first things um, that was hugely important and, and very much apparent was um, you can't have multiple conversations uh, in the deaf community. One person speaks at a time. And so years later, um, even when I had uh, digital hearing, um, it still affects me because the cochlear implant technology is, you've got eight electrodes doing the work of 180,000 cochlear hairs. So if two people are talking, it's just gibberish. So. I started thinking and when I would have the, uh, meetings with my people and everyone's talking and I would do one voice, one person talks, you know, in a nice way, it's really important that only one person talks and in deaf culture, that's the only way to survive. And 
<clears throat> I go back to my history and go, how many times in meetings where you saw six meetings going on or everybody's talking at once? And there's a poor guy at the front with his PowerPoint slides on. And I wonder how many people are actually watching uh, because we're all preoccupied. There's this whole, uh, and then along come smartphones where, you know, our, <clears throat> our Blackberries are now ringing or looking down. And uh, so not only is it, uh, rude in the deaf community. It's impossible uh, because you have to watch the hands, you have to watch the eyes, you have to watch everything, uh, as I do now. Uh, in, in my uh, new hearing 2.0 world is paying attention. And so, you know, one, one speaker. And, and that was probably the biggest thing is interruptions. Uh, there are ways to do it. And, you know, deaf culture is a little different because it's okay to tap, but you have to tap a person. Uh, in hearing cult, in, in our hearing society, if you come and smack somebody, you know, they go, you know, what the hell? What are you doing? <laughs> I need your attention. So, <laughs> but you don't walk in front of somebody, you tap them. So uh, the abruptness was also uh, the simplification uh, of language, uh, it it, it kind of got me thinking uh, how wordy we are, and is it we as humans love to talk? And don't get me wrong, I love language, I love the words, and I my wife makes fun of me because I'll use words like I'm a little peckish or something like that. It's there's no word for peckish, it, you know. There's no sign for bucket bucketless wouldn't mean anything. We have these. Uh, these sayings, these iconic phrases that the hearing world knows well. You know, what's on your bucket list? And you say, if uh, you write it out for a deaf person, it means nothing, especially if you're brought up in deaf culture where you don't, <clears throat> written word is everything signed. There's no sign for bucket list. There's no sign for peckish. You could do little bit hungry. It might be the same thing, but we use so many words to convey an idea. And um, there's, that was one of the biggest things was the, the deaf culture to me was fascinating. And it was beautiful to watch. If you ever watch two old deaf senior citizens telling a joke, it's one of the greatest experiences you'll ever have. And I encourage you, if you ever get the opportunity, watch them laugh and watch the signing and the, and the laughing. And it's, it's like watching little kids in a playground. It's like, this is beautiful to watch. It was fantastic. Where I fell into difficulty was the cochlear implant world is kind of frowned upon. Uh, it's very, very controversial. And so it was it was hard. And I existed, I kind of still do. It's what uh, we call uh, this liminal space. I'm deaf, but I hear. So I don't really hear great. <clears throat> I, I hear because of technology. I'm deaf, but I'm not accepted by the deaf culture for the most part. Most people in deaf culture would, would be kind to me, nice to me, uh, but you're not accepted because you're not, because you decided that definite, why didn't you stay deaf? You could have become us. And uh, my God, I used to do some writing for deaf. I can't remember one of the, one of the uh, 
one of the online journals, uh, I would write about my experience. And then I remember the day I wrote, uh, I've been accepted at Sunnybrook for the cochlear implant program. I just got hate mail. As hurtful as it was, I understood it and, and I accept it. And uh, I still, I love their culture very much. You know, I, I, I love again, the, uh, the lessons, the insights that you're sharing with us for a leader of how to be a better leader if they happen to have someone who has some kind of hearing impairment or is completely deaf. And um, and what I love about it again are by practicing these things that you've suggested, you're gonna be a much better leader. So creating a space where one person speaks at a time to provide respect and and voice for others around the table well that's a good thing um being crisper on words and being cautious about um slang and things like that that don't make sense will be very helpful for someone who has a hearing impairment but also will be helpful for folks from different cultures um thinking through that being fully present which you shared before is a powerful thing of being able to really understand and see more clearly where each person is, is also so powerful. It's necessary for a hearing a person who works for you that does not have their hearing, but it's so powerful for all team members that are reporting to you. Just, just uh, amazing insights uh, to going forward. And then even the last thing, you know what? It is challenging. I have heard the differences between, um, you know, in the deaf community and within any community, we have our positions and they're all based upon our experiences. And I loved your um, re reaction and response that, although it sounds like, <laughs> excuse me, that it was a tough time being open and loving and accepting to say, okay, that's where they are. They're clearly, they have an experience which creates this response, but how do I do that? And again, being open and curious in those situations, I think is equally important as a leader going forward. So I love, uh, I love the, your insights and I think they'll be helpful for our listeners, uh, but also not just for if they have <laughs> employees with um, hearing uh, deficiency in, in hearing, but, or a less, you know, not an ability to hear, um, but but important for all aspects. I, I love, uh, David, the transferable principles that Greg's talking about. Because as you were talking about your experience, I was translating that into just day-to-day -day experience in the places that I've worked, that I do work. And I went like, this just makes sense. It's just common sense. It's courtesy. And the multiple people talking, I've been in those meetings um, you know, people not listening, some poor person trying to give a presentation and nobody is checked into that. And there's side conversations going all over the place and it's just rude. And I think there are so many transferable principles in what you've talked about that I automatically went into, uh, my own experiences and also thinking, okay, going forward, there's a lot of things here that um, I'm taking notice of, and I hope that our listeners take notice of this. And I think it's just a stark reminder that sometimes we just get caught up in stuff and we've kind of lost 
the, the, the mark when it comes to dealing with other people and getting stuff done and being efficient and not saying a zillion words where 10 can do it. Uh, I think it, that that's just really, really wonderful. And um, it's, it's really caused me to pause and think about my perspective in dealing with groups because like Greg and yourself, I deal with all sorts of groups, facilitate group dis- discussions. And I'm going, I've learned a lot from this. Now, David, do you have any, um, we're going to kind of go into final thoughts and I'm going to give you a little commercial space. So what, you know, do you have some, you know, things that you really think, you know, you need to share with our, our listeners, things that you think they would find helpful? Um, you know, one of the things that, um, the deaf community taught me and one of those uh, practice in uh, my family and our household is making sure there's an understanding and you know the deaf will do you know you know you did you understand what i just signed and because often there's this thing called the ego that kicks in where we don't want to admit and our parents always did it you know we know mom i know you're not hearing me because you're (laughs) but they're too proud to say i didn't get it right nobody likes to admit it and saying pardon sometimes is a weakness but it's so important in anything in life and especially businesses i'm not really clear and i used to do this a lot in business because of survival but what i would do um as a I'll use a phrase I dislike, but it it fits as a hearing impaired person. I would say this was really great meeting we had, great conversation. Uh, I'm going to sum it up in an email to you, and I'd like you to read it and see if I missed anything. And I would just do bullet points. We talked about this. We talked about that. And we concluded we would do this. And I would send it, and they would send it back and say, I think you missed one thing. And sometimes it's hard where we go, wait a sec, this guy's director of sales. Shouldn't he be paying attention? Like what? I think we all do it. And we have this little part of us that says, uh, I'm too much of a chicken to, to say, I'm not sure I understand that. And I have to do that a lot. And there's no harm in that. And whether hearing or deaf, a lot of us don't really understand. You know, I'm not sure what you're saying, but we just nod like we do. And you watch the deaf and they, they will have a look on their face and they don't have to sign it. That that, that look is, uh, I don't understand. So the signer signs it again or signs it a different way until he nods or goes like this. Uh, got you. Yes. And, you know, sometimes we pretend a lot of times that we're understanding a conversation where we're missing so much crucial things that even in a social environment or with a family, you know, but business, it's it's so important. Like, I'm going to recap this, and I want you to see if I missed anything. Another great transferable principle. I mean, it just makes sense, right? And I, I just amaze that it's coming out of your experience and Quite frankly, we're benefiting from your experience and what you've talked about today. Um, do you, is there any events, awareness campaigns, or anything that our, our listeners would like to hear about that you're uh, undergoing, uh, that you're undertaking right now, David? Um, nothing that really jumps out. I've been, uh, the pandemic is, uh, was cooking for the refuge for the longest time, which was a great joy, uh, doing scrambled eggs for 60 or 70 people in the morning. And then, uh, but uh, COVID's kind of put that on hold for a while. So I've been just working with uh, Durham Deaf Services, and uh, which is having some financial difficulties, as many social agencies are. So 
um, if there's uh, any uh, deaf association or homeless, uh, two of my favorite charities, uh, uh, do what you can. If you can give some money, that's great. I mean, that's how I got involved. Uh, I <clears throat> financially supported uh, the refuge for a number of years and went in one day on my annual visit. And uh, Clarence said, you know, I'll take your money for you, but you know when I could really, I need to cook on Thursdays. Uh, so that changed my whole world and I love doing it. That's awesome. I, I think you're, you're an example. There's lots of things out there people can do. And you're right, it isn't always about money. Now, David, uh, just before we go into a kind of a closing phase, I want to thank you very much for coming on Talking Not Ranting and just talking about your experience. And I, I think, Greg, I don't know how you feel, but there was like a zillion lessons in there and it's going to take me a while to unpack it, but they were all transferable into um, the experiences I've had in the past and the experiences I'm having now and what the experiences I'm going to have in the future. I don't know what you think there, uh, Greg. I thought the same thing. And you know, Dave and I have had a couple of conversations, but there were like 10 more new things that bubble up this one. So David, thank you very much for joining our show. And, and folks, we hope uh, that some of what we've spoken about you find helpful. And I don't know how you couldn't today. Uh, we hope that you didn't find anything offensive or that it made you angry. But Greg, your philosophy, I think, lands well on this uh, episode. Yeah, we always end each of our uh, podcasts with uh, a great insight I had from my first coach and that each session that we have together, um, she said, you're probably going to leave with uh, a little bit of churn, maybe peeved off at about something that was said or discussed and a little bit of joy. And uh, I think this one, I think I got a little bit of both. Lots of joy, like this whole aspect of Oh, man, uh, I, first of all, I'm going to go and look for two uh, old deaf guys to experience the joy that experiences through them. Uh, so, uh, so I want to definitely see that. But, but even more so, this beautiful uh, gift of the diversity of, of experiences of what someone brings. And if you have someone who's working in your organization that is, uh, that is deaf, how powerful they're going to be able to bring great insights to you both uh, their knowledge, but also what they what they see and how they experience things, I think is important. So, so good. But you may have also heard, there was a couple of things that I heard that kind of gave me a little churn of something that, did I use the right language? Did I, did I say the right things? Am I, am I really uh, approaching everyone without, uh, as if they, they, they um, might not be able to hear? Um, really, that's the churn. So, but take that churn, that's good, that's learning. Take the churn and do something with it. Grow from it. And if you're, if there are things that you're doing to encourage the deaf community to support them, or things that you've learned that yeah, I do that, take that joy and and live it further. So that's where we always end up with the churn or the or the joy, and we hope you get a little bit of both. And folks, just to remind you, the podcast was designed to take you to both of those places. So, Greg, I think it's time for a call out, and I think it's going to be a triple. A triple call out. Yeah, so uh, we're going to do a call out to Easley, South Carolina. Uh, they came up on our radar, so welcome to the club. And we're giving honorable mention. Uh, we kind of, uh, we've been talking about how Oakville has just been piling on the, the, the downloads. Well, our friends in Columbus, who have always been strong supporters, they've picked up recently, so thank you very much. And Sydney, Australia has come up again and uh, has piled on quite well. So 
to all those folks, uh, wherever you are listening to us, thank you very much for uh, you know checking in with us and listening to us. So people, remember, take the time with the people you work with. They're an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care.